0: Friends, it's been a few weeks since I've had the privilege of preaching. Um, it's good to be here. It's good to be in front of you, and it's good to be feeling better. So, if you've been praying for me as I've been sick, thank you. I am, I am here today. Um, so we bless the Lord for that. So, um, you may recall that the last two weeks we've listened to some really profound sermons. But we've also listened to some really sober sermons. And if you've been working through the discipleship group material, it's been even more somber <laughs> um, and profound. We've been looking at the end times. What is this world going to look like in the season before our king returns? Um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dave preached a sermon about this man of lawlessness and this this season of deception and offense And persecution and love growing cold. He talked to us about being watchful and remaining ready. And then the next week, Pastor Gina last week preached a beautiful sermon on what it is to be prepared. And she looked at those parables from Matthew about readiness and being full of the oil of the Holy Spirit so that we can stand firm to the end. So these have been sobering sermons. It's hard to think about But as one member of my discipleship group shared, she said, when I entered into this, I was really scared. I didn't really like to talk about these things. But I feel like I know more, and I feel like I don't need to be afraid, and I feel like I have hope. And so this morning, we are merging into hope. We are looking forward to our coming King and all that comes with it. And so this morning, we're going to be reading from Second Thessalonians 1. Verses 3 to 12. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to take it out. 2 Thessalonians. I apologize. 2 Thessalonians 2. Hold on. I'm reading Pastor Dave's text. Hold on. That was from before. We're at 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 to 12. Um, and before I read that, I'm going to read the Gospel tool. We're at Thought Unit 37. And it's up there on the screen if you want to see it there. It says however so however after this period of increased evil on the earth after the good news of the kingdom of god has reached all the nations jesus will return and he will overthrow the lawless one jesus will then proceed to destroy all rulers authorities and powers that resist god and will eliminate each of god's enemies as he ushers in his kingdom in its fullness. This is hope. Amen. Alright, so from Second Thessalonians one three to twelve. This is Paul to the Church of Thessalonica. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which... You are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire. With his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been talking about a coming time and a present time that could be called dark hours. But the term the darkest hour refers to a very specific moment in history. Have you heard the term the darkest hour? Anybody? Okay. So this refers to a very specific moment in history that took place early on in World War II. So we're looking at mid-1940 to mid-1941. And though we don't know it for sure, legend has it that these words were first spoken by Winston Churchill as soon as he became prime minister. Now at the time um, of 1940, when Winston Churchill came into office, our world was a mess. Adolf Hitler and, and Nazism and fascism and communism were all sweeping across the globe at a rapid rate. They were moving like a wrecking ball, and in their wake they were imprisoning people and murdering thousands of people. Whole villages were being taken out and economies destroyed. Not only was the very earth, like the land and the countries and the national identities of half the world at stake, but so too was the very idea of freedom. Freedom. This is a world that wanted freedom and power of the people, and these terrible authorities were sweeping across the globe. And in Europe, by mid-1940s, Hitler's sea of destruction had rushed over Austria, Czechoslovakia, Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, and most recently and crushingly, France. To make matters worse, Russia and Italy had joined their forces, and the world was just getting darker and at this point the only thing standing between Hitler and the rest of the world was the army of Great Britain and the British army had just been badly beaten at Dunkirk there had been mass casualties and nearly all hope seemed lost and so whether Churchill said it or not it's no wonder that we've come to call this period in time The darkest hour. As Churchill and the rest of the world looked on, they must have felt such extraordinary fear and pressure. Can you even imagine? You look around. How on earth are we supposed to stop this? How could things keep going like this? And how bad could it get? How long will we hold out? So many have been lost and so much has been lost. Will the cost really be worth it in the end? This wasn't the last dark hour of history. And it wasn't the first dark hour either. Because as we read from Paul's letter to Thessalonica this morning, we read that the Thessalonians were facing their own dark hour. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what persecution looks like in Thessalonica, but he uses words like persecution, And suffering, and pressure, and trials. Thessalonica was a a brand new church. They were babies. They were new in the faith. And they were Gentiles, which means that previous to coming to Christ, they'd been pagans. A totally different religion. They'd come together, they'd heard the gospel, they believed, they planted this church, they were growing. But they were centered right in the middle of the eastern section of the Roman Empire. And history tells us that the Romans have never been kind to the church. There's enormous pressure for this little church to grow up as disciples, to even be a disciple, much less to complete their mission of expanding the church and bringing about new disciples, that mission that we heard about last week. Now, in this dark context, this mission feels impossible. Impossible how are we going to do this? How are we going to preach this gospel? But they also knew and remembered what Jesus had said in Matthew 24. You'll remember we heard this from Pastor Gina last week where we went through the parables of what was coming. And at one point Jesus says in 24:14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So even in the face of persecution, the church of Thessalonica knew what their mission was. They'd heard what Jesus had said in that great commission to make disciples of all nations and that the end would come. They were part of the fruit of that great commission that had been brought to them. And they knew that it was their calling to continue in it. But it's hard to share the gospel in a world that doesn't want to hear it. And it's hard to speak the truth to a culture that doesn't want absolute truth. It's hard to share when you know you're going to be persecuted for telling your story of what God has done for you. Throughout history, God's people have faced dark hours like this. We've heard stories for generations of Christians that have been persecuted that have been faced with an impossible mission to, to bring about the kingdom, to share the gospel where they are. Most recently, we hear stories of Christians in Afghanistan and how hard it is to just be a Christian right now, much less to preach the gospel. Now, right now, it's not as dark for us here. We have it pretty good yet. But as we've been learning, the evidence of darkness in our world is coming closer and closer to home. In the last couple years we've we've seen hardships, as Sandy prayed for leaders in, in prayer this morning. There's been so much. We've seen pandemics and wars and rumors of wars. We've seen massive natural disasters. We live in a culture of incredible offense and division. We are increasingly intolerant of people who think or see things differently than us. There's mass deception, people believing many things that aren't true. There's increased intolerance of any kind of absolute truth or Christian worldview. I'm not going to go so deep into this because this sermon's supposed to be about hope. But if you missed the last couple sermons, they fleshed this out and it would be good to go back and listen. All these things that we see aren't just random bad things that happen and it'll kind of work itself out. Like the Nazi army spreading across Europe, these things are systematic attacks designed to take over. They represent a strategic plan, the plan of our enemy to compromise the church and to thwart the mission of Jesus Christ. Think about it. If we're struck down, if we're afraid, if we lose ourselves to deception, if we fail fail to speak the truth even when it's offensive, if we trade the peace of Jesus for the anxieties and worries of this world, We're not talking about the gospel of Jesus with our friends. Our lives aren't bearing testimony of his power and his love and his goodness to those around us. If we fail at this mission, the world around us doesn't get a chance to hear. And it just gets darker. The world around us is literally dying. And it's not dying of COVID. It's dying of sin, the whole world. COVID is just part of it. But because of Jesus, we carry within us the antidote. We carry in the truth that sets men free. We carry the spirit of God that brings restoration. The gospel of Jesus brings healing. It brings love. It brings peace and joy and unity. Everything the world needs is found in Jesus. It's why it's so important. It's why Jesus told us, this is your job. The world needs this, so I'm giving it to you. Mission success is not only crucial, but it's also guaranteed. It's a fight we know we're going to win. And this is exactly what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians to tell them. Do not lose heart, Paul says to a suffering church. Now, the world may seem really dark, but through your perseverance, the light is getting brighter. Even though the pressure's still on, even though Jesus hadn't yet made his second appearance, the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians are already reaping the rewards of what's to come. Paul opens his note by saying, We thank God for you because, in the face of persecution, your faith is doing what? Do you know? It's growing. We thank God for you because your love for one another is. It's increasing. Even though they're struck down, the work of God is taking place within these people. And then Paul says this strange thing. He he says, God's judgment is justified. Now that feels like a strange thing, right? God is using this pressure To build up a people who reflect him. He's using this pressure to build up a people who can stand firm to the end. He's bringing judgment to refine. It's like the picture of fire burning metal, right? And the dross comes off and then you get the gold at the end. God's judgment is justified because your perseverance is a testimony to the whole church. Paul says the church is looking on and we're being encouraged and strengthened. But that's not the whole thing yet. Paul goes on to explain that the victory is guaranteed and it will be sweet. He says that Jesus will pay back trouble to those who troubled you. This comes back to justice, God's idea of justice. There will be justice for everything that has been done wrong and everyone who has committed wrong. He says that Jesus will give relief and rest to those who have been troubled. There is a day of rest promised to each and every one who believes. He will punish those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ because every enemy of God will be punished and everything will be set right. Hallelujah. Now, to some, that sounds really severe. It is a severe punishment. You heard the description, right? Like, this is not baby in a manger. Jesus... We have a warring king coming in with blazing fire and mighty angels. And he's going to punish evil with everlasting destruction. Eternal. And he will shut those who rejected and opposed him out of his presence and from the glory of his might. Now think about that. The worst punishment on earth. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from God. So if you're completely removed from God, anything good, anything is gone. It's the worst punishment you can fathom. And it's coming. It doesn't sound like that, you know, super tolerant, relentlessly loving, patient Jesus that we so often see and hear about. But justice has to do with God's love. He loves the world enough to bring about justice. He loves the victim enough to do justice. We also can't forget that Jesus made clear that he wasn't going to come and bring about this punishment until the world had known. Every nation needed to hear the gospel before this day comes. We read in 2 Peter 3.9 that he is slow. He is delayed in his return because he does not want anyone to be removed from his presence. Justice is good. And it's coming. And this victory gets even sweeter. And this is the part that I don't, I don't know about you, but I never really heard focused on. But Paul says that when this day comes, that Jesus comes... He will be glorified in his holy people to be marveled at among those who have believed. So other translations put this, he will literally be glorified within his people. So for those who stand firm to the end, to those who remain set apart, who persevere, who stand firm to the day of victory, the glory of God will be manifest in them. They will shine so brightly that those who remain on the earth, those who believed, will marvel at God's holy people. One commentator said we will literally be astounded at what God has done in and through us at the end when we realize the glory that he has put in us. So don't give up, Paul says, the mission will be completed you will be strengthened and refined along the way and in the end every tear every drop of blood or sweat every prayer every pain every sermon every single testimony will be worth it there will be victory and there will be justice and after the darkest hour the finest hour will come Just after British forces were slammed at Dunkirk, Winston Churchill gave a different speech to the House of Commonwealth, and he pointed to a new day. And in his speech, Churchill referred back to the darkest hours of World War I, the previous war. He reflected on the extreme circumstances and difficulty of that war, and he compared it to the darkest hours of the Great War before it. And this is what he said. In contemplating our dangers with a disillusioned eye, I see great reason for intense vigilance and exertion. But I see no reason whatever for panic or despair. During the first four years of the last war, the Allies experienced nothing but despair and disappointment. And yet at the end, their morale was higher than that of their enemy who had moved from one aggressive triumph to another. During that war, we repeatedly asked ourselves the question, how are we going to win? And no one was ever able to answer it with much precision. Until at the end, quite suddenly, quite unexpectedly, our terrible foe collapsed before us. This war is no different, Churchill had said, They must stay the course so that at some victorious day in the future, the next generation would look back and say, this was their finest hour. Churchill's speech was prophetic. Shortly thereafter, Allied forces rallied together. The Americans joined the fight, and after a few more years of brutal war, the Allies declared victory over Europe, and the course of history was changed forever for the better. It truly was a generation's finest hour. But the thing about dark hours and fine hours is that they don't just happen once. This entire letter of Second Thessalonians is about sustaining pressures at what feels like one period of time, the end. It's about living victoriously in the darkest time. But ironically, it was written centuries ago. It's a long time before the end. And yet Paul's words have been relevant not only to the Thessalonians who read this letter the first time, but to countless generations after. It didn't make it in the Bible because it only mattered at one moment in time. It's mattered the whole way through. And the words are relevant today too. Friends, whether we'll be the generation to see Jesus come in his fire with his mighty angels or not, we're called to be a generation that rallies to the cause Whether we see the end or not, we are called to stand firm, to fulfill the mission for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the generations to come. And if we live our lives as a proclamation, a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be transformed more and more into him. Like the early church, our faith will grow our love for one another will increase. The kingdom of God will advance and God's glory will literally be manifest in us. And on that day that he comes, we will be worthy of his kingdom. There will be justice and there will be rest and comfort. Those who persecute will be punished. The truth will prevail in the finest hour of all time. It's guaranteed and it's coming. And we're invited as our king ushers in his kingdom. All these things that we talk about that feel impossible, it's all coming in its fullness. And we get to be there. And so as we survey the darkness of our own hour, and as we consider the gravity of this mission to preach the gospel to the whole world, that every nation might hear a true testimony of God's goodness, and his truth. My prayer for this morning is that we will be strengthened, encouraged, and empowered to stand firm, and that we would be filled with faith that stands in the face of anything, and hope that our finest hour is here, and it's yet to come. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the way that your word is relevant for all time. God, we thank you that by your grace, you didn't want us to be unprepared, that you didn't want anyone not to know. Lord, you wanted your church to thrive, to stand strong to the end. And so, Lord, would you make us those that stand firm? Would you solidify hope deep in our inner beings that your word is true And that your plans are true and that the things you're inviting us to are good and true. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us with faith. Give us the gift of faith. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.